Well, here we are as we uh, continue on our journey through Mark, and uh, we are in the 12th week, believe it or not, and uh, in the 10th chapter as we continue on. And now uh, that that Jesus' ministry is starting to wind down the, the, the public aspect of it, the building phase, and now he and the disciples are heading up to Jerusalem where he will spend his final week and uh, ultimately uh, be crucified and, and be raised again um, on the third day. And so if you open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 10 and verse 32, that's where we're going to be. And we're going to continue trying to answer the two questions that we've been trying to answer uh, for the, the past uh, 12 weeks. That the, the vision and the hope for this series is that you, as an individual, will be able to answer these two questions to settle it once and for all in your own hearts and minds. And that first question is, who is Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? And we've had lots of uh, different answers to that question as we have journeyed through Mark. Uh, uh, some of them, you can just yell them out. Just, what's up? Prophet? Teacher? Carpenter? Healer? Satan, yeah, Satan. Crazy, absolutely crazy. Lunatic brother? Is that what you said? Yep, that's true, a lunatic brother. Uh, let's see, uh, possessed by Satan was another one. Uh, Peter acknowledged him as the, as the Messiah. Uh, human, remember a few weeks ago we talked about you know, that, that he was human that, and experienced life as, as we experience. So lots of different answers uh, to this question that that people have come up with. And the second one is, what does it mean for us to follow this Jesus in the 21st century? What does it mean for a doctor or a lawyer or a student or a pastor or a, a, you know, a, a professor or, a, or a, you know, a husband or a wife or a man or a woman or whatever? You know, whatever you are, what does, it, what does it mean to follow Jesus? So those are the two questions that we're attempting to be able to answer. So as they continue on here, then they're on their way up to Jerusalem. It says that Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were full of awe. And the people were also following behind and they were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. This is actually the third and final time that Jesus is going to be preparing his disciples about the things that are going to take place once they get to Jerusalem. You see, the, the common understanding among Jews and the, how they read the prophecy was that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to set up an earthly kingdom. That whoever was the oppressors of that time, in this case Rome, that the Messiah was going to come, overthrow the Roman Empire, set up his own you know, kingdom, and, and rule from there. So this is kind of what they're thinking. Jesus is coming alongside of them saying, no, 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 no. And this is the third time saying, no, that's not how it's going to go down. That, that 
I did not come to set up an earthly kingdom, that my kingdom is eternal and for all people and for all times. So he pulls him aside and he says this, look, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. So I need you to get a, you know, a mental image in your head of what's going on here. You know, they're, they're walking along the path. They're, they're walking toward Jerusalem. That he knows that they, they are still not understanding. So for the third time, he comes. And I don't know how you can be any clearer than this. That you go to somebody and just imagine being with Jesus. And Jesus looks at you and he says, look. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over. That I'm going to be sentenced to die. I'm going to be mocked. I am going to be spit on. I am going to be flogged with a whip. I am going to be killed. And yes, three days later, I am going to rise again. So, as a follower of Christ, being with Jesus for almost three years at this point, and this is the third time that he has told you this, you know, you're thinking maybe it's starting to, to sink in. But this kind of goes to, to the, the question or the, what we talked about last week, the difference between hearing someone and actually listening to them. That when we hear somebody, that we we can hear them talking, but we are still putting upon them all of our understanding and, 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 and thinking, and we're not really changing how we think about the situation. But when we listen to someone and when we focus on them, we're actually internalizing what they are saying. So what does... What happens after he's very clear and tells them this? It says this, Then James and John, who were there at the transfiguration, which we talked about last week, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. Okay, just was told, whip, flog, killed, spit on, all this. Yeah, that's nice, Jesus. Can you do do us a favor? He said, what's your request? They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in a place of honor next to you. One on your right and the other on your left. There's such a disconnect here that they they are still not getting it. They're not getting that this is not going to be an earthly kingdom they are not getting that jesus is not going to have a earthly throne and he's not going to rule over the nations as a traditional ruler or king or emperor would but they keep on seeing him as that they're seeing him as this this earthly messiah i heard a uh a speaker several months ago uh, 
talk about how how sometimes we we get confused like the disciples are here in fact he he was talking about how he he went to his wife he said oh honey you are so beautiful to me i i love your long flowing blonde hair love to run my hands through your 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 flowing you know hair it's like corn silk and I love just to just to fall into your blue eyes. It's 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 like the Mediterranean Sea. And she slaps him. She slaps him because she has brown hair and brown eyes. And the disciples are coming up to Jesus and saying, "Oh, I love your blonde hair." And I love your blue eyes. And Jesus is saying, I'm Jewish. <laughs> I'm from the ancient Near East. I have dark hair and dark eyes. I'm not going to be a king. Uh, I am not going to overthrow Rome. Will you please stop hearing what you want to hear and see the truth? This is the irritation that is going on here. And then he continues on. He says, you don't know what you are asking. Listen to this. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I must be baptized with? Just to let you know, if somebody asks you those two questions, the answer is no. But this is him. Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Then Jesus told him, and he, Jesus is giving a prophecy here. You will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. They wouldn't have been able to do it at this moment. But as they were living in the reality of the resurrection, you know what happened? That these disciples, and we'll talk more about this in Easter, but on Easter, but these disciples were transformed by the resurrection. None of them were expecting it because they never really listened. You look at their actions as we look, as we spend time looking at what they did after Jesus was crucified. None of them were expecting him to rise again. They must have thought it was a metaphor or a, or a parable or something, but when they lived in the reality of the resurrection, that everything changed for them and they, they, they transformed themselves from this selfish band that wanted to sit on the right and left in these places of honor to a place where, you know what, they were actually able to pick up their cross and follow Jesus. And so much so that, that James, who wanted to sit on the right or left of Jesus, that he was actually killed by the sword by Herod the Great. And then John, who also wanted this place of honor, that he was exiled and cut off from his, his family and his, and his support network. And during, while he was in exile, he was able to write the book of Revelation. 
But they did indeed experience this, this suffering. Jesus continues on. He says, I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God prepared those places for the one He has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. You know why they were indignant? They didn't think of it first. They were all upset because James and John asked for this position and beat them to it. They weren't indignant going, oh, James and John, that was way out of bounds, you selfish you know, guys. Not at all. They were like, darn it. They asked for the, the best seat in the house. They still were just like confused. So Jesus called them together. They're about to have a Jesus moment. Like for real. I mean like a real Jesus moment. He says, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. And then he's going to tell us what it means to be a follower of him. He's going to tell us. You might be sitting there going, well, I'm not a leader. Well, you know what? Leadership is influence. And all of us have a degree of influence over someone. And how we use that influence is our leadership. So Jesus is speaking to each and every one here. How do you use your influence? And this is what Jesus says. But among you, it'll be different. Different from the traditional sense of leaders who use it to consolidate power and to force people to do their will. You're going to be different as a follower of me. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be a servant. Anyone wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. Here Jesus is turning the whole power structure upside down. He's saying, you know what? How a follower of Christ uses his influence in this world is completely different than how everyone else does it. He says, no loitering it over people, no flaunting your power. Instead of using exclamation point kind of declarations to people like, get that project done. That's how a kind of a boss of the world would go about it. You know what? I have the authority to make you do this. And if you don't do this, I will either fire you or I will punish you or something like that. We've seen this kind of rulers all through history. This kind of totalitarianism that, that say, you know what, I am going to impose my will on you, and if you do not comply, you will be destroyed. And Jesus here is saying, you know what, that is not how it happens. A follower of me, that, that that's not how we conduct it. In fact, that it turns it upside down instead of making exclamation type statements that you actually come to people with questions. That you come to them and saying something like, you know what? How, you know, I wrote this down, that, that 
you know, how can I resource you better in, for, in order for you to be successful? You see how that, that changes it and it changes from you putting your authority over someone and trying to force them to do something. Instead, you turn it around. You say, how can I serve you so you can live out the vision that God has for your life? It is completely a different way of approaching leadership or using your influence. Instead of influencing people for your gain, you are resourcing people so they can live out the vision that God has for their lives. It's completely different. And Jesus modeled this. He continues on. He says, look, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give His life as a ransom for many. He led by example. He did this several times by giving his life and before he gave his life by washing his disciples' feet. Now, like washing your, you know, your disciples' feet was like uh, this, this incredibly symbolic act. Like in the 21st century, you think about feet, and I think about my feet. That's just gross, you know, touching. I would like, I don't want anybody to touch my feet. Like, I, I was given a gift to go get a pedicure, and I went and d- did that. I felt so bad for that poor woman. <laughs> like, I, like, I felt so guilty. I just, I just, I, and, and I asked her, I said, have you ever, like, looked at somebody's feet and just, like, refused service? <laughs> like yeah no <laughs> and everything and and she was just you know she's like you know no you know and she she I mean she had all sorts of like sanitary gloves and all all that kind of stuff and it, and even like today you know where we wear shoes and we have uh like spray for your feet and all that kind of stuff that it's you know it's kind of gross still but in the first century I mean they walking through dirt and all sorts of like nasty stuff and 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 Jesus who's meant to he's the rabbi he's in he's in charge and he's like look this is what it means to be a follower of me to to actually do things that you would never dream that a leader would do you would only think the lowest of the low would do. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ, is this humility in service. After that, they were continuing walking on on the road and they reached Jericho. And as Jesus and His disciples left town, a large crowd followed Him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. This is actually the first prayer, the first Christian prayer ever recorded in the Bible. In Greek, it's Christ Eliason. Christ, Eliezer, Christ, Eliezer. And as he yelled it, as, as Jesus was walking by, the people yelled at him 
and said, be quiet. Shut up. Jesus is an important religious ruler at this time. He doesn't have time for a blind beggar, especially blind beggars in the first century. People in the first century thought if you were blind, it was your own fault because you were a sinner and God struck you blind. And you had no value because that most of the labor in that day was physical labor. And if you're blind, you weren't able to do it. You weren't able to put things together or make anything. So you were made a beggar and they would give you a cloak and it would, it would identify you as a beggar. And you were cut out of society that, and if you didn't have anybody to help you or take care of you, you were basically just trying to survive every day. And we have this desperate situation where you have Bartimaeus hearing the Son of God walking by, and, it, and, and, and we have this just amazing irony that you have disciples who have been able to walk with Jesus for almost three years, and besides Peter, not really getting it at this point. And you have this picture of all these people following him, and you have Bartimaeus sitting blind with his cloak on, yelling out, Christ, Eliezer, Christ, have mercy on me, son of David. And by him saying son of David, Christ, son of David, that he's actually saying Messiah, the, the chosen one, the anointed one, who the prophecy said would be a descendant of David, have mercy on me. And this blind man, is one of the first people who truly are able to see who Jesus really is. As he yells out, Christ the liaison, and they said, be quiet. He only shouted louder, Christ the liaison, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. The coat in the Greek is his cloak, his beggar's cloak. And Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, my rabbi, my bl the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. You know, this, in, this is such a fascinating healing that if you, if you look at it and you think about it and you are able to see it in your mind's eye, you see Jesus walking toward what he knows is going to be his death. He's walking toward Jerusalem. You have the disciples doing whatever they do. You have the crowd along, and you have this, this blind beggar with his, his cloak, his beggar's cloak, his identity, that, that, that when people saw him, they didn't even need to hear him speak. They didn't even need to know that he was blind, that they would see this beggar's cloak on him and know who he was and what he was about. And 
as Jesus walks by and he hears he's got, he is so desperate that he yells out, Christ liaison, shut up, be quiet. But he, this is his chance. He's not going to be quiet. He has nothing to lose. Christ liaison, Jesus hears him. He must have been yelling so loud to, to, to get his voice heard over the crowd and gets Jesus' attention and says, Bartimaeus, come to me. So Bartimaeus stands up. And the Bible says he threw off his cloak. And he came to Jesus. That cloak represented his identity. That cloak represented his livelihood. That cloak is what kept him warm, that identified him as someone who needed charity. That cloak represented his brokenness, his pain, his adversity. And when Jesus called him, he threw it off and left it on the road and came to Jesus, accepted the healing he offered. And what did he do next? He followed him. He didn't go back and pick up that cloak. You know what? That cloak, it served him for many years, but he didn't need it anymore. Because he was going to experience a new life as a follower of Jesus. And if I could change anything of my experience of being the pastor of this church in the past six years, this is what I would change. I wish that we as a community would be more like Bartimaeus. If somehow that we could encourage one another to throw off our cloaks and leave them where they lie and only follow Jesus. I just can't even imagine what God could do in this place. Unfortunately, far too often, Jesus says that we're a new creation, that we cast off our old. And if you have a visualization of that as maybe your old self falling off in a metaphorical dead corpse. And far too often we'll, we'll, we'll be this new creation, but we're so used to our old corpse and we think, you know what? I'll just carry that for a while. So we pick up that corpse and we strap it to us and we start trying to follow Jesus with that weight of our old self that we're, we're, we refuse to let it go because it, it's been our identity. It's, it's been with us when nobody else was with us. And as sick as that sounds, that's kind of how we twist it and we find security in our brokenness and our, and our adversity. 
And I could imagine as we follow Jesus for you know a few days or or maybe a week, you know, Jesus starts like, what's that? What's that smell? You know, you can imagine a old rotten corpse after you know after a week starts to reek. And at that point, maybe some of us say, you know what? Jesus, I just was holding on to that and cut that corpse off and go. But you know what others of us do? We go get some Febreze. We squirt a little bit on our corpse. We're like, eh, not so bad. Continue on a little bit. You know what? I would love to see this place be able to be a place filled with Barnabases. Stand up, throw it off, and say, I don't need it anymore. That my power and my comfort is in, given by my God. And I will not accept a cheap imitation. You guys pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you for these past six years. The ups and the downs, the challenges, the, the celebrations, the journeys that each and every one of us have been on. God, thank you for this series as we have hopefully looked at you in a fresh, new way. That we've been challenged by what we have heard as we deeply tried to listen to your words and what you meant. And God, mostly tonight, I wish that each and every one of us would be like Bartimaeus. We would yell out, Christ Eliezer, and throw off our cloak and follow you. Amen. Amen.